First of all, on a personal note, uh, Becky and I want to thank you for your prayers and encouragement and support, um, especially over the last couple weeks um, as we have been with family back in the United States um, because of the death of my mom. As a pastor, I've done, I don't know, 75, 80 funerals, um, but it's a little different doing one for your mother, um, both with the relationship that you have with her and the complexities. Our immediate family is 44, and there's all kinds of interactions and complexities, and it's a little intimidating to stand before your whole family knowing all of that, and God was gracious in the midst of that and did some beautiful healing things and uh, continues to work, and we are very, very grateful for that. We've been looking at a a new series called B, and it's... um, examining what we're called to be. And last week, or last couple of weeks, Ian has done a great job in pointing us to what it looks like to become um, who God has called us to be, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we're gonna pick up on that a little bit today and look at another one of the Bs. Um, but I wanna start with this simple question. How many of you wanna know exactly what God's will for your life is? We all do, don't we? And I'm going to give you the answer, and you're all going to be disappointed because it's not what you're looking for, but it is the right answer, okay? I know you're all wondering, who should I marry? What kind of career should I pursue? Where should I live? Um, Help me with this decision, that decision. All those things are important, and God is interested in those and will give direction, but they're not the most important. Our purpose, His will for our life, our destiny according to Romans chapter 8, verse 29, is that we are destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. That's his will for your life. Oftentimes, we think that our destiny is heaven. Heaven is not our destiny. In fact, if you read carefully through the scripture, Heaven exists, but the new Jerusalem comes down to earth and there's a new earth. And so our existence in the next life after the return of Jesus Christ has all kinds of questions to it. Lots of things that we don't understand. But what we do understand is a promise that is given to us, we will be changed. We will be transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's what it says in 1 John 3. Beloved, we are God's children Now, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, I want to challenge you. If you really grab a hold of that, understanding that that is my destiny, That's God's will for my life, to conform me to the likeness of Jesus Christ, to imprint upon my life and your life his likeness. It will change how we live. Because life is no longer about the pursuit of success or comfort or fame or religion, but it is about being transformed, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And I gotta tell you, Not only is that amazing and absolutely unattainable in our own power, it is exciting because it is something that can happen to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work of God's word. 
And here's the thing. I don't want to be late. I don't want to show up and be surprised that this was my destiny. This is what God had for me all along. And that he was going to transform me to become more and more like him now. Do you realize this is also the hope not only of the New Testament, as I I read the scripture there in Romans and in 1 John, it was the hope of the Old Testament. Job spoke of this. But even more pointedly, David spoke of this in Psalm 1715. Listen to what he says. After an incredible psalm of praise, he says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake... I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David was saying, here's ultimately what I'm living for. If you want to know why David is referred to as a man after God's own heart, it's not because he wrote a whole bunch of great songs, even though he did. It's not because he was king. It's not because he slayed a giant. It's because this was the pursuit of his life, knowing that he was going to be transformed to become like his Savior. That will change us. So today we're going to look at an incredibly important word, a B word, believe. Because we will never become more than what we believe. None of us will. If you don't believe God can change you and transform you and make you more like Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen. It begins with belief. The first step to being conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ is faith. And that's what we read about in Hebrews, Hebrews um, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. It tells us again in, in verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. For us to please God requires faith. And we're going to look at this verse a little more intently in a little bit, Um, but we need to understand that it is absolutely integral to our relationship with God. But here's the the interesting thing about the Scripture. Other than verse 1 here in Hebrews, the Scripture gives us very little definition of what faith is. And faith is one of those somewhat confusing words because we all think we know what it is. How many times do you, hear, do you see um, this as a bumper sticker or as a post on Facebook? You know, believe in yourself. What does that mean? Having faith in myself, I understand being confident. I, I understand what that means. But I got to confess before each and every one of you, I don't believe in me. I've seen what I look like on the inside, and it's not pretty. You wouldn't believe in me either. Our faith has to be in something far greater than ourselves. And so the scripture gives us little definition of what faith is. Instead, it points us to where we are to put our faith. It gives us this definition in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In essence, faith is a sight not seen. It is not seeing as believing, but believing is seeing. It is seeing all of life through the viewpoint of God. When that becomes a reality in our lives, 
we will be changed. We will be conformed to the likeness of Christ. So faith is not a self-generated emotion or power. There's some folks who have faith in faith. If they can just stir up enough emotion and think about it long enough, then they think, okay, I'm gonna be able to overcome this trial. Faith has to focus in on the object, the one that we put our faith in, and it has to be someone who is worthy of our faith. And the only one who is, is God himself. So since we can't define it very well, we need to look and see what the scripture tells us in other aspects about faith. First of all, where does faith come from? This is incredibly important. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 tells us that faith comes from hearing God's word. Now, this is incredibly important because we need to understand that one of the reasons why we gather together as a body of believers and why we gather together in small groups and why we encourage one another to immerse ourselves in the scriptures and to read it on a, on a continual basis is because faith comes from hearing God's word. And it isn't just being familiar with it. You know, sometimes what happens is we get to a point in our life where we think, I know the story. I know the Bible. I know the gospel. But we need to hear it over and over again because when we hear the word of God, it is like a seed that brings forth fruit in our heart and our life. And so it's important, even if it's something you're really familiar with, to continually feed on God's word because that's, that's the greater parallel. If you and I were to physically exist on the amount that we consume of God's word on a daily basis, how many of us would be sickly and near death because of hunger? You see, when we really understand the importance of God's word, when it becomes a priority in our life, it not only changes us, but it becomes our joy in our pursuit. If you want your faith to grow, the place to begin is God's word. As we spend more and more time in his word, hearing about God, about what he has done in the past, about his character, his nature, his power, his goodness, all these things, our faith begins to grow. Here's how I want to compare it. When God created the universe, he spoke the elements that make up our universe, the atoms that make up our universe, into existence. In the beginning, God said, and he spoke, and he created everything. Currently, we know that there are 118 atoms that make up everything in the universe. Now, chances are there are some that have yet to be discovered, especially in far reaches of space, but 118 atoms is not very much, is it? Everything you see is made up of a mixture of 118 different atoms, some combination of them. In God's word, in an average English translation at least, there are 31,000 verses. Now if we compare, there's 118 atoms that makes up everything, and they are the result of God speaking into creation. 
How much more powerful must it be when we see that God has spoken so much more in giving us his word, how he wants to take that because it is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, how much more can it create and produce in us and through us if we really believe it is his word, living and active. His word is amazing. Life in this world is dynamic. And none of us are going to stay the same. We are either going to be increasingly transformed to the likeness of Christ Jesus, or we are going to be increasingly transformed to the world's image. One or the other. It all depends on which one we feed. We need to have our minds transformed. That's what Um, The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice and that we are to have him transform our thoughts and that happens from his word, from being in his word on a continual basis. If you want to understand what really made the difference in the life of the disciples, oftentimes we think, okay, the disciples were these rock star heroes of the Bible because they were with Jesus face to face. And that certainly had a huge impact. But they were weak. They denied him. They ran away. They were fearful until after the resurrection, Jesus did something incredible in their hearts and lives. And what he did, it tells us in Luke 24, verse 45, is then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. And he used the scripture to show them who he truly was. That is what changed them. That and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit revolutionized their lives and they turned the world upside down. So if that's true, we have the same resource that they did, the Holy Spirit and God's word. But are we pursuing it as a priority of our life? Because faith comes from hearing. Secondly, faith comes from Jesus Christ. Acts chapter three, verse 16 says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see. Faith is a gift that comes from Christ. As we get to know him, He pours his word and his life and his spirit into us more and more. That's how he increases our faith. Thirdly, what faith is, at least in a functional standpoint, is is this. This is the best way I know to describe it. Faith functions as a spiritual window through which we see the character and nature of God. Now I want you to kind of think about that as as an object lesson. And think about windows. Some windows are small, some windows are big. Some windows look out at buildings like that and they don't have a very good view, like the one on my left. Some windows look out and have that great view, although everything out there is dead except for the trees. So there's you know, certain limitations because you're looking out at a graveyard. But it's a window, right? Some windows are small, some windows are dirty. Here's what happens, though. When we understand that faith is like a window... What often happens is when I go up to the window, 
and I'm trying to look and see, okay, God, I want to know you. Here's what happens. The thing that I see the most is not what's outside the window. It's what's closest to it, which is me. Oftentimes, in reality, my window of faith is more like a mirror that sees the reflection of me than it is something that shows the greatness and wonder of God. If our faith is to grow, we must increase our God view. And we must be incredibly careful because we will gravitate towards recreating God in our own minds, in our own image. Just like that reflection when we walk up to the window that can distract us from seeing what's outside, we do the same thing spiritually. And it is incredibly dangerous. Unfortunately, we tend to think that God is like a bigger form of us. Our natural state is to see the entire world from our perspective. Although we know it's not true, we still tend to operate on that basis. And we tend to operate as if everyone else in the world thinks like we do, or at least they should. If they were smart, they would. Now, we know that's a false assumption. But the truth is, that's how we live. And that's why we end up becoming so divided over so many different issues is because we approach things from the standpoint of, number one, I'm right. That's why I've always been perplexed by seeing some of the posts that you have on Facebook because they're really not a good place to have a dialogue about anything that really is significant and important. It seems to be a good place to have arguments, especially about politics, um, but it doesn't seem very effective in convincing people that we should seek what God's perspective is rather than our own. When we operate on the spiritual basis that God is somehow like us, only bigger, we have an incredible potential for problems because the scripture is very clear that God is not like us. So many times I've heard people make a statement like this, I cannot believe in a God who does blank. We may fill in the blank with all kinds of different things. Oftentimes it will be something that we're, it will be something where God says this is wrong and we say it's okay because either I do it or someone I know does it or is involved in that activity or sin, if we want to call it what God calls it, and we want to justify it. But think about that statement. I cannot believe in a God who says blank. Do we realize that when we're doing that, we are saying, I am God? We are putting ourselves on the throne? That it is perhaps the most arrogant statement we could ever make? The scripture reveals that God is incredibly loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. But he is also holy and just. And for me to tell God what he should be like is the most foolish thing I could ever do. Instead, I need to humbly come before him and say, Lord, 
Show me where I'm looking at a reflection of myself instead of seeing an accurate view of who you are and what you're like. This is why the scripture is absolutely essential. Because the only way that we will get to know who God truly is, is through his word. He has given us this incredible book, this letter from himself, written in interactivity with humanity to show us himself. And he gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to show us exactly what he is like. To help us remember that as the scripture says, God is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart, that means he's not like us. And he's set apart again, he's really not like us. He's set apart again, he is totally like himself. Not like us. This is why the scripture tells us, warns us in Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 23. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That is our danger for every one of us. When we begin to think we can redefine God and make him in our own image, we are headed down the road of idolatry, and it is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. We need to fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of God's word because he has revealed himself and he's inviting you to know him for all that he is. This is something that's been really a struggle in, in recent days because w- one of my family members is incredibly intelligent. He must have got that from his mother's side, um, not from the Stephen side. He's incredibly smart, but he's been through some real tragedies in his life. And right now, his wife is probably within hours or days of passing away. And at one time, he was even involved in ministry. But because he was so smart in pursuit of his education and knowledge, he's turned away from God. And there's an emptiness in him that is heartbreaking, especially now as he he faces the loss of someone he loves with all of his heart. He's pushed himself away from the one person, God himself, who loves him the most and could give comfort. 
And I'm praying that God will open up his heart again. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and and because of hurt, disappointment, because you're trying to form God in your own image, there's a wall between you. Remember who God is and humble yourself. And the Lord will reveal himself to you. Faith functions as a spiritual window. But if we're, able to, if we're gonna have a, an accurate view of God, then um, we need to have the right perspective. So we're gonna do a, a short little exercise here. We're gonna do more of this and look at faith more in depth next week. But I'm gonna put a picture up on the screen and ask you what it is. And so there's a, there's a picture that's coming up I've jumped there. I know the screen is really dark today because um, the bulb is burning out. What is that a picture of? Frog. Hey, don't cheat. Okay, how many of you say it's a frog? All right, all right, very good. How many of you say it's a horse? It's a horse. All right, go ahead and turn it around. Go to the next, oh, look, it's a horse. Magic, yes, Woo. It's a frog. It's now a frog looking down. It's diving into the water. Yes. All right. What's, we'll, do, we'll do the next one. We'll make this, make this simple. Go ahead and put the next picture up. All right. How many of you say this is a picture of a man in a boat catching a fish by an island with two trees? Yeah. Excellent. You're wrong. This is a picture of a bird eating a man standing on an island. That's what it is. All right, what's different about those pictures? What changed? It's exactly the same picture, exactly the same information, but what changed? Exactly. That is so true of everything we face in life. That's what Romans 1 is telling us. It's saying God has revealed himself. He has put forth this picture. He has put forth his DNA, his fingerprints on everything that he has made, and he's saying, here it is. But how are you going to look at it? Are you going to look at life and look at your circumstances, look at your work, look at your family, look at yourself, then the perspective and the window of God's character, nature, and purpose? Or are you going to turn that perspective and look at it with your own eyes to say, what does this say about me? It will change what you see, and it will change what you believe. That's why it's so important for us to have our minds transformed by God's word. What I want to challenge us to do um, in these next few months is to make a new effort in getting connected with God's word. Uh, A couple weeks ago, before we we left for the States, um, I introduced some of you for the first time, others already knew about this, uh, with uh, the Bible app where you can get the Bible in, in your heart language, whatever it is, chances are they have a good translation of that because there are over 900 translations that they have available. And it's a great little tool where you can take God's word with you anywhere. And if you have the app and you go to events, which is under the more tab on the little, if you open up the app in your phone, which you can do right now, you have my permission, um, just don't play solitaire. You can play anything else. Um, 
But if you open that up, you go to events, you'll find there's a, another faith-building reading plan. It's really short and simple, takes about five minutes each day, but it helps get you into um, a pattern of being in God's word on a regular basis. Some of you, you've got a life journey of doing that. Others, you've never started that. We want to help you get started, and this is a simple tool. And um, coming in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to make a, a Bible overview plan that um, gives you a great way to get the highlights of the whole story of Scripture in about half a year. It's going to take a while, but it's, 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 an, it's a challenge that I think we can do together. But I want to encourage you, start with something. Start with this little app. Start with the reading plan that's, that's there. You can click it. It'll, you can put reminders so it'll come up. You can, you can read it while you're on the metro or on the trams. You can meditate over it on time, but make a commitment. If you really want to fulfill your destiny, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Spend time in his word. Make it your greatest priority. If we were to spend as much time in God's word for some of us as we spend on Facebook or Twitter, we would be amazed how much transformation God does in us because his word is alive. But we have to commit ourselves to being in it and allowing it to change our perspective. One of the aspects of that perspective, the idea of the picture that strikes home with me is, is especially about the, the issues of creation. Where did everything come from? Not the process, but so much as did it come from God or did it come from chance? Intelligent people look at the same information, but they have a radically different perspective. When we get to see God's perspective, we're able to see far more than theories. We're able to understand purposes and plans. When we look at creation, we have to ask, where did it come from? That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And yet, humanity, because we don't want God, has sought time and time again to explain away life in some process without God. Creation asks some questions. It asks who, what, how, when, and why. Man's attempts never completely answer the questions. If we look simply at naturalistic evolution by itself, it attempts to answer the how, and it seems to continually recalculate the when, and has no answer for the why. It can come up with no purpose for our existence. 
And that is incredibly dangerous because that very philosophy is what enabled and fueled the Holocaust. You see, when we don't look to see what God's perspective is, but instead lean only on human understanding, we live in a very dangerous place. And we look at our world and we see a lot of confusion and, and, and conflict and division. What our world needs most right now is not political answers. It needs transform hearts, transform people, transform churches that are changed by the power of God's word. So let me challenge you. Make a commitment to be in God's word. Because you will never become more than what you believe. And your belief comes from hearing God's word. If you need help with that, Ian or myself, Selena, Becky, one of the elders, we will help you get in a routine basis of being in God's word. And you will discover amazing things about this God who loves you and gave himself for you. Are you willing to invest in your destiny and become what God wants you to be? If so, allow him to increase your view by immersing yourself in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of scripture. Lord, I pray that in these next few weeks, you will do a work in us, individually and collectively, where you truly make us more like your son. Give us as a people a hunger for your word, a desire to discuss your word and your truth. Lord, give us a desire to gather together in in our small groups and create new small groups, Lord, where we're learning more about you and about your word because it is powerful. It is truly life-changing and transformative. Father, our, our hearts and our lives are not changed by a sermon. They're not changed by a song. They are changed by your truth and your word. So Lord, help us to commit ourselves to you, to loving you, and to loving your word. Lord, let us discover the greatness of who you are. We ask in Jesus' name, strengthen our belief.